Let me ask you this question as, as these kids are, are departing here. When you hear the word worship, when you think of what worship is, what comes to mind? I think most Christians, and that's the perspective we're going to be looking from, right? Most Christians automatically respond or jump to music. So as soon as I walked up here on the platform, worship is over. I have that ability, I guess. Others might add in prayer or reading of the word, the faithful proclamation of the gospel. We could probably add more things. I mean, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our act of spiritual worship. He is trying to say, if you're a Christian, everything you do, all that you're about should be worship. I think it's important here for us to understand as we continue through this morning that praise is not the same as worship. In a way, praise is the response. It's often spontaneous to what God is doing or has done. As we think of it, it's this response, right? right? Praise is often celebratory. It's, it flows out. If you look through scripture, it's this spontaneous. They, you know, they, God leads them across dry land and they get to the other side and they spontaneously sing songs of praise. Worship, on the other hand, goes a little further than that. We could say that praise is easy. Worship is work. It's not. Worship is a task of losing yourself in the adoration of God. It demands humility, a surrender of oneself and all that we have unto the Lord. That truly ascribes worth, honor, praise to the Lord. But it's not easy. Brothers and sisters, you could say that the center of Christian worship is treasuring and delighting in the worth and the beauty and the action of God. The external forms of worship that we do, whether that's singing, whether that's serving, whether that's giving, all of those show that we treasure and we delight in God above all things. Again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so this morning, we're going to be partaking in communion or, or the Lord's Supper. And my hope is this sermon will aid us all to see this little meal that we're about to take as a glorious act of worship. Something that is just as important to the corporate worship as the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the, the sermons we preach. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 34. The text we'll be reading, but we'll be zeroing in on a few particular verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. We read these words. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have a house to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Also, he took the cup and after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other thing, I will give you instructions when I come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reality. Thank you for what we celebrate and we partake in when we come to this table, this body given for us, this beautiful, precious blood by which sins are blotted and we are counted as righteous. Lord, be with us as we gather here. Help us to see this meal as something glorious but also understand that it is merely just an indicator of things to come. So with eager hearts, we look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a whole lot in this passage that I am not going to get to. Lord willing, in the, in the future, in this new year, I'm actually going to be preaching through this book of Corinthians. And at that time, when we get to this, probably sometime in 2025, I will dig into some of this text. However, I want to spotlight this morning that the Lord's Supper, this thing that we do about every six weeks here, is actually an act of worship. But we find in this passage that there's already a problem. There's something going on. There's a group of Christians in Corinth who are not doing what they should be doing. They are gathering and and they have turned it into a mockery of of this meal. They are filling their bellies. They're gorging themselves. 
They are getting drunk while there are other Christians, other members of this body who aren't even getting anything from the table. And Paul points out something here. I don't know if you picked it up, but in these few verses, five times, Paul says, when you come together, when you come together, 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 emphasizing that, this meal that we are going to partake in a little bit later is something that we do together. Does your demeanor focus more inward Yourself satisfying your cravings. I really don't think the little bit of bread you get here and the little bit of juice you get here is really going to satisfy your cravings. But are you so inward focused that you're forgetting about the others around you who partake with you? You want to eat and drink. Paul writes, do it in your own house. This meal's different. This meal's different. This isn't like other banquets. This isn't like other celebratory meals that would have been part of the Corinthian life before they became Christians. They were pagans before then, right? They would have gone to these celebrations, these feasts that would have been filled with food, many of it sacrificed to false gods. And he, Paul is saying to them, this is not like that. This is different The Lord's Supper is meant to be an act of worship. It's not a meal to satisfy your physical need. It's about worship. And I think this text gives us three ways that we see it as worship. Two of them are very obvious. The third is a little more hidden. But that's what I want to walk through. I want us to look at these three ways when we come to this table. First, it's worship in the act of remembering. It's worship because it's done in remembrance. The Lord's Supper is worship because it reminds us of Christ. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I received this from the Lord, and so I'm delivering it back to you. What did he receive? That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. This meal is not about you. It's about him. Remember me. Remember me. Me, 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 Jesus is saying. And it's not selfish. It's not arrogant. It's not wrong to remember him because he is far greater than any of us because he is the great one. The focus of this meal is the remembrance of Jesus's penal substitutionary atoning sacrifice in your place. If you remember you at all in this meal, it should be to humiliate you and realize it's because of me he died. You walk away celebrating what he has done. The only thing you bring to this table is sin. But we remember what he has done because we walk away the table reminding that we no longer are under condemnation because that sin has been taken away. The focus is on him 
and his death. The Lord's Supper is worship if you take it in this way. If you drink this wine or this juice or eat this bread, you remember Jesus as the most valuable offering ever to be given. That's worship. The Lord's Supper is worship if in taking and drinking, you remember that day as the world's most glorious day in all of history. It's worship since we remember that there is no name under heaven and earth by which any can be saved and it is by his body and his blood that we know him. It's worship because when we come to this table, what we are doing is we are exalting him above all. This is worship. Shudder the thought if we forget what this is in remembrance of. We need to be reminded regularly what Christ has done. Because when we are reminded, we set our gaze back upon him and we worship. This table is about worship because we remember. So that's the first way. The second way the Lord's Supper is worship is found in this simple word, proclaim. In verse 26, Paul writes these words, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the proclaiming, we help others to remember or to maybe consider for the first time what Jesus has done. We naturally proclaim the things we worship. The things you delight in, the things you treasure, the things you see as glorious, you automatically proclaim. You share it with other people. Yesterday I was doing some yard work and I was wrapping stuff up in the front yard. And my neighbor to the left and to the right have giant M's hanging somewhere in their house or on their front yard. And as I'm raking up some stuff, my next door neighbor Hank walks out the house, crosses my yard to go to the other M and celebrate. Good job. No one's saying amen to that. <laughs> it's a trick. See what you're really worshiping. And as he's walking back, I said, so they won? That must have been. So they are publicly on the street at the end of our cul-de-sac, celebrating, worshiping. Why? Because they delight. There was joy. They, they were proclaiming. They didn't care who saw them. This is why we proclaim. When we eat and we drink, we are called to proclaim his death because it has done something that is so great and so amazing. When you gather at this meal and you consider what it represents, does that truth, does the passion of what Christ's death has achieved and obtained for you somehow bubble up that you can't contain it anymore because it is so unfathomable, it spills out of your mouth and you say, do you know what God has done? through Christ Jesus, his son, for me, for you, for that guy over there, for that woman over there. Do you, do you know what that is? Because that's worship. It 
is far greater than what a bunch of college kids do on a green field. But I can't remember the last time I walked to my next door neighbor and high-fived them or toasted to the salvation of Christ in the front yard. The reality is, if or when the big M team finally loses, I still have something far greater to celebrate. Because he is above even that. That's worship. It spills out of your mouth. You can't, you can't hold it in. You can't contain it because it is so awesome. Do you see how remembering and proclaiming work together? Because when you remember, you're stirred again, and so you proclaim, and your proclamation helps others to remember, and it stirs in them so that they then proclaim, and then you or other people hear it. It feeds off of each other. So those are the two easy ways that you see this is worship here in this text, but there's a third way the Lord's Supper is worship. It's worship because it's nourishment. You might be thinking, nourishment? Are you kidding? If anything, it makes me more hungry for lunch. The Evangelical Free Church, our statement of faith, when it's addressing the topic of the church, it says these words, the Lord Jesus mandates Two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel, though they are not means of salvation, right? If you are baptized, you're not saved because you're baptized. As we come to this table, partaking in this meal does not save you. Though they are not means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm the reminders of our salvation, right? To confirm and nourish the believer. Have you ever thought about why did Jesus leave a meal? Why didn't he leave some other rite or some other kind of religious practice? Why does Jesus leave a meal and say, whenever you eat this or whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me, a meal, and not even the whole meal, right? They're, they're celebrating the Passover meal. There would be a spread across the table, but he talks about one piece of bread and one sip, one cup of the meal. Why does Jesus leave us a meal? I think he's trying to remind us that you need food and nourishment to survive physically, but I'm just leaving you a bread or, or cup. Obviously, it's not to satisfy your calorie intake. Obviously, it's not to satisfy your, stomach, your stomach's rumbling. Paul says, eat at home. Get a healthy breakfast. Or wait until you go home or go to the diner or whatever restaurant you're going to go to afterwards. When... Why does Jesus leave this meal? I think it's because he's trying to tell you that his life is the very thing that will nourish your soul. Take a look here 
In Jesus' words from John chapter 6, Jesus says these words. John chapter 6, starting verse 53, he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Jesus is saying, eat me, partake in me, unite in me, be nourished by me. That's worship. When you can say, my strength, my nourishment, my power is not found in physical food, but in the Lord Jesus. Spiritual, soul-strengthening, soul-satisfying, soul-fortifying food is not found in the physical things we shove into our mouth, but rather found in the spirit that feeds our soul. That's worship. I need Jesus and him alone because he satisfies the craving of my soul. That statement is worship because it is saying that he is above anything else that might satisfy your soul. So how are we satisfied by a little piece of bread and some juice? I'm gonna step in here a little bit to some theology, right? It's gonna be a little bit teaching here, a little theology. I'm gonna use a couple big words that hopefully I won't mess up as I say and try to explain them. But I think it's important for us to think about this here. There are three main views On the Lord's Supper, there's the Roman Catholic, or I'm going to throw in the Eastern Orthodox. There's a couple little differences, but they're basically the same there. There's the Lutheran view, and then there's the Zwingli, who is a a reformer, often known as the Protestant view. How are we nourished? Well, the Catholic and the Orthodox Church believes in what's called transubstantiation. There's the big word. And it's this. It's this belief that the bread and wine actually transform into the physical body and blood of Christ. When the priest prays and holds up each of the elements, at that moment, God's grace does something. This is what the Catholic Church believes. This is what the Eastern Orthodox believes. So that then when you partake in it, it is literally transforming into the body and the blood That's not the view we hold here. Then there's the Lutheran teaching. The word sounds very similar. It's a little bit different. They believe in what's called consubstantiation. Con meaning with. They believe that the bread and wine remain bread and wine. But Jesus' body has taken some sort of way to be around and in and through and under it. They would say Jesus' body is present 
It's almost like a magnet, I think is one of the ways they try to help explain this. If you were to eat a magnet, you also eat the the magnetic power or pull with it. That too is not the belief that we have here. The final view is the Zwingli. I think I'm saying his name right. It's the Protestant view. This is where we fall. We believe that the bread and the wine are just symbolic of the blood and the body of Christ. Why? Because of what scripture teaches. It teaches that Jesus physically raised from the dead as a whole being. It teaches that he is physically seated in his ascended spot in heaven right now. He is physically there right now. We believe, therefore, that at this table, he meets us not physically, but spiritually. He's feeding us spiritually. And the contemplation, the remembering, the uniting with Jesus applies this truth I'm united with Christ. Right now, not physically. Right now, spiritually. And so he meets us at this table here, spiritually, feeding our souls, strengthening us, helping us as we remember and we recall all that he has done. Friends, the Lord's Supper is worship since it expresses the worth, the beauty, the delight, the treasure of Christ above all things. He is our life. He's also the means to life. May we remember the one who has done great and glorious things through his death. May we proclaim the name of Jesus above every name. That's what we're doing when we come to this table. May we have our souls nourished by Jesus' grace and his presence. Right now, Jesus is present with you, Christian. If you're not a believer, I pray that you would say, I want that nourishment. My soul, I'm trying to find it here. I'm trying to find it there. But every time I think I'm going to find it, I find that I am left empty. If that's you, here's how you come to this table. Maybe for the first time for real. You surrender. You say, I can't do this try I've I've sought other things maybe you don't call them gods but in your mind that's really what they are you're pursuing after those things and they leave you with nothing I pray that today you would say I want to be satisfied and the things of this world leave me dissatisfied I pray that today you would see that it is him how by his death he took your sin he took your garbage he took your wrath that you deserve for all of the rebellion that you do. And you might think, well, I'm not really that rebellious. Yes, you are. Because you were sought after yourself instead of seeking after the Lord. Why does Jesus say, this is my body, this is my blood? He emphasizes that work on the cross where he took our sins And if you are not a believer, he can take your sins and he can wash them clean because he takes the wrath of God that you deserve so that instead of being punished, you receive grace upon grace upon grace. What do you have to do to receive that? Believe. 
and repent. Turn to him. I believe that by his death, I stand before God whole. I believe by his death, I stand before God new. I believe by his death, I stand before God righteous, not because I'm righteous, but because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If that's you today, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to sign a card. You just celebrate. Celebrate because of what he has done for you. So I say to us, church, one day we will enter into a beautiful world. And we will hear the radiant hosts of heaven proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. And we, the beautiful bride, clothed in the radiant white garments of his righteousness, with tears streaming down our face, with joy, we will run to our bridegroom and we will embrace him and we will experience a feast. Because we embrace what we remember this day through a piece of bread and a cup. So let us worship now as we come to this table to eat and to remember and to proclaim. So as I pray, I'm going to ask the elders and others to come forward as we serve this meal. And then I'm going to run down there and we'll, we'll do that. But as I pray, if the elders could come forward. Lord God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for what it shows. But Lord, I also pray that you would help us to see this as worship. We worship because as we come to this table, we are saying that there is no one greater than Jesus. That there is no other body. There is no other blood. There is no other action. There is nothing under heaven and earth by which any can be saved but by him. Lord, we ask Help our hearts to sing for joy as we remember Christ. Lord, I pray as we come to this table, as we eat just this little piece of bread, as we drink of this little cup, that we will see that this is serving as a reminder of that great thing that nourishes our soul, that fortifies us when the world says there's no hope We say there is because we have a savior. When the things of the world leave us wanting, we turn our eyes again, remembering again that if I have Christ, what more could I need? That's worship because that is ascribing worth to him above everything. And so we come to the name. We come today to this table in his name. So as we gather here to this table, I want to encourage you, if if you're not a believer, we ask that you would just allow these things to pass. And that's okay. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to look down on you if you allow these things to pass. That's actually something that's very respectful and very honorable of you. Take a moment to consider what this is. So as, as the elders and the others here to help us serve this meal, as the plates come down, there is bread and cup in each, right? So take both. Make sure you're getting a bread and a cup in each one, right? We're going to ask that you hold it because we're going to take it together. 
right? We have gathered together. We're going to worship our Lord together. So hold it, and then we'll come here and we'll take it together.
For anyone who hasn't been served yet, now there's still some back there, I think. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after praying, he, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant which is in my blood. Take and drink. As often as we eat this bread, as often as we drink this cup, we proclaim his name above every name. That's worship. This is worship. Because it says that Christ is the all in all, our only hope in this life and the next. Will you pray with me? Well, thank you for the bread of life. Well, thank you that that bread came to die in our place. But we are so grateful, Lord, that the death was not the end. It was through the resurrection that he is the first fruit of the resurrection and all who believe in him will find true life. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me say this as you stand and we, we leave, uh, just a few things. If, if, you, if you feel like you need to pray with someone or, or need to talk to someone or you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I really encourage you to come up here after the service as we close. The elders and the care team will be here as well. And I'm, I'm gonna do this here. I, I'm inviting you guys. If coming up, I don't know if you're aware, but Thanksgiving's around the corner. And if you don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving or if you're just you know, not sure what you wanna do, um, myself and, and my wife will be standing over here. You can come to our place, come talk to us. We'll let you know when we're eating and we can figure that out. And if we have 300 people coming to our house, we'll pass you off to some of the other elders or we'll be eating all day long, just coming shifts. I saw a hand here for one of the elders. Um, but if you don't have a place, we really wanna make sure you have a place. So come, come talk to me, come talk to my wife. We can plug you in there because we have much to be thankful for.
we as the church have more to be thankful for than anybody else because we have a savior. So you stand as we sing this blessing to one another. Have a blessed week, church.
May you be blessed as you guys leave this morning. I see. Thursday or Friday. We're doing both. Thank you.